0: Hello and welcome to the Automotive Anecdotes podcast, the podcast that's normally for all that useless information your friends would rather you not talk about. But these episodes are a little bit different. We are joined by some very special guest panellists to talk about the future of motoring, and more specifically, the future of what's going to fuel it. Uh, I am the layman here. My name is Martin Clayton uh, on Twitter as at Bob Clayton
1: 92. Hi, uh, I'm John. Uh, so your usual host for the other Automotive Tales podcasts and at John MSM on all social media outlets.
2: Hi, everybody. My name is Graham Bennett. I've been brought in to join the, the discussion uh, to present the views on hydrogen.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Jess Shanahan. I'm an automotive journalist and EV owner. I am at JetLBomb on Twitter.
2: So
0: you join us uh, at the end of the line, episode five of five. And over the last three uh, episodes, you have heard uh, pretty much a, a very thorough overview of each of the three uh, potential alternatives for uh, petrol and diesel cars or the ICE. Uh, we had way back in episode two, uh, EVs, we've had hydrogen, hydrogen, And then we, of course, have had John with synthetic uh, ICE or synthetic fuels for ICE as well. Um, And I think it became very apparent, and I'll open the floor straight away because I think that'll be the easiest way to do it, but I think it became very apparent even through those conversations that there is not one answer here. Um, Would anyone dare to sit around this table and say that we may be looking at all three? Who would like to go
3: first? Well, I'm happy to say that. I think, you know, it, it, it seems to me that there are, Different applications for all of these different fuels. Currently, for consumers, electric makes a lot of sense. Uh, the infrastructure is pretty much there. Uh, the the vehicle costs are coming down all of the time. Uh, but then it, it then looks like hydrogen could be the solution of the future, and certainly in in the commercial vehicle space, um, it would solve a lot of the problems with like payload and things that you have in commercial vehicles um, that that doesn't just really it doesn't currently work with battery electric um, as the you know the way of fueling the vehicle and then there's the you know the synthetic fuels that fit like nicely in that transition gap as well like from from what everyone has said and i don't know if i'd probably like a lot of um our listeners i probably wouldn't have said that at the beginning of this podcast series but now to me it seems like there absolutely is space for all of these different technologies
1: yeah i'd, I'd wholeheartedly agree um i think Fortuitously, synthetic fuels has come from a, a different environment where it probably has a more long-term benefit, uh, because in aviation, you know, the energy density of a, a hydrocarbon fuel is really very important to long-distance travel. Um, so it maybe hasn't got the longevity in automotive that it has in other sectors, but it seems to really nicely fill that gap between, you know, moving from fossil fuels to what an alternative might be, um, while the other technologies kind of come up to speed. So for me, I, I almost see this. You've got the two technologies that run against each other. You've got battery electric vehicles and hydrogen, which will each have their, uh, their uses and their, their sort of pros and cons. Uh, and then in between is to help everyone transition over a longer period than just the 10 to 15 years the government has kind of given us. Um, you have this synthetic fuel, which will hopefully allow us to run certain vehicles for much, much longer, and run them in a sustainable way um, as our normal everyday transport moves to something that is more emissions zero rather than net zero.
2: Yeah, I think it's a fascinating time. I think all three of the things we've talked about in the last few few sessions have individual merits. And I think that's the key to the energy transition. The energy transition is a series of transitions. It's not one sort of light switch moment that we're all going to leap from one solution into another one, because that's just that's not possible. Equally, however, I think there will also be things that emerge over the next 20 or 30 years that we probably can't imagine today you know in terms of looking at battery technologies and the, the possible emergence of graphene batteries as a much more efficient uh, energy storage mechanism that can be built into structures uh, looking at the developments in synthetic fuels and how they can be used looking at the developments of hydrogen and in the, inf- you know, the refueling infrastructure looking at the rise of autonomous vehicles you know what what does that mean for Future transport as well. So I think there are, it's important to recognise that the, what we've heard about in the last few sessions are all key contributors to that pathway for decarbonisation, uh, and that's the reality that we face. We're on a we're on a transitionary pathway. We need to give the consumers choice, because if you ever end up in a situation as a consumer where you have no choice and you're in a monopoly of one form or another, that's not a good position to be in. Because then you're at the mercy of taxation, you're at the mercy of fuel cost, whatever fuel that might be, be it electricity, hydrogen or synfuels. fuels. So I think you do need to be able to give consumers choice um, because that choice drives innovation. And that, that, um, that choice also avoids the, the challenges of, of having a transition that takes place that disadvantages people in society.
0: Do we think that choice will be there in 2035?
2: I think it will, Martin. I think, and I think the choices will be broader. I think there will be more solutions to the to the the the, the question of transportation. And we've talked a lot today about um, you know vehicles in the sense of four-wheel vehicles. My passion is is also in two-wheel vehicles. I'd like to see what's going to happen with the future of battery motorbikes or or fuel cell motorbikes or some some other form of propulsion system or power system for two-wheel vehicles as well. I think there will be many transitions that, that happen. Um, and, you know, if, if I knew exactly what that outcome was going to be, I'd probably be investing in it now. And as a financial advisor, you'd probably be telling me where I should be putting my money. But, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know what the answer is. If I did, I would probably be doing a different job and investing in a, in a different market today. Mm. But I think it's an exciting opportunity and it's, it's a great time to be involved in the energy system.
1: Indeed, and they say the necessity is the mother of all invention. So this uh, this drive to to push us to do something different by twenty thirty 2030, twenty thirty five uh, inadvertently, it's probably gonna it's going to bring along some really exciting new technologies. So you know we might be sitting and doing this in you know two or three years time and be talking about five different technologies, or we might have discounted synthetic fuels or or something else, um, and have different things on the table. Who knows? Mm. But uh, I guess it's interesting crystal ball gazing it's always fun isn't it as to what might be it'd be interesting looking back in 10 years time as to how right or wrong any of us were
0: the speed things are going it'd be interesting even in 12 months time to just mm-hmm. sit back and um if, if anything just to find out especially with jess's first year of ev ownership as well, well we'll have even more of an insight into the actual day-to-day um side of things but um it'll be technology is moving so fast that in a year's time we might um and I'm sure there won't be any U-turns from a government point of view because that's just not the stance that we have, but it's a, you never, you never know. Um, I think
2: things are, things are, are, are moving incredibly quickly. And, and I think it's a recognition of how agile as a society we can become. So the, the very fact that we're doing this in a virtual environment rather than sitting in a pub or a coffee shop <laughs> meeting to talk about these things. Now we've gone through in the space of weeks, what would normally take us three to five years in terms of innovation. In terms of technology and um, and our ability to communicate and converse in different ways without perhaps the need for transport. So I think that's another thing that needs to be woven into this um, this energy transition is what is the future of transport itself and will it be the way that it has been for the you know as, as as recently as last year. You know we've we've seen some massive changes to the way in which we think about transport and the need for transport
3: so i feel like there's a whole probably a whole other podcast series in this but just just thinking about what transport in cities will look like in 10 15 20 years time you know are a lot of people actually going to move to a more transport as a service type model where they don't actually own cars because they don't need them but they can go and kind of rent one whether it's you know maybe an autonomous vehicle or one they drive themselves um but you know is car ownership going to become a thing uh, of the past as well you know we're obviously talking about you know how we fuel these cars um but actually is 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 the way that we move especially in cities gonna fundamentally change um in in the coming years as well
0: well that's that's an interesting point because policy obviously is written now for you know what initially what was 2050 based on how we live now Uh, but if if we move to a service (laughs) proposition then actually it's not down to the Uh, you know the individuals it's just down to the suppliers of those kinds of um of services aren't they so it's um it's definitely an interesting one um and saying that do do you know when you think about movement in cities and movement between cities like like graham said there it's the bigger picture of for example um are we presuming that? Trains are going to be bimodal or electric for the rest of their lives, or it, I know that there is a hydrogen train being tested. So it, I suppose there is a bigger picture there as well. And uh, then we find ourselves on a uh, on a 30 episode long series of um, all the different methods. So it's a, it's a fascinating subject, but it, it's, it sounds like for now, all three will complement each other, but it all depends on how the world moves in that time as well.
1: Absolutely. And and you're right. Coming back to the point about, you know, what will city car look or city transport look like? We're already starting to see some of those things. So there was a, an interesting video I watched the other day. Uh, those that are familiar with the late break show. this is Johnny Smith. It uh, was Fifth Gear years ago. Um, He reviewed, uh, it's called the Citroen Ami. I had to go and find it because I couldn't remember what it's called, which is kind of the French manufacturer's idea of what the future of city motoring might look like and these tiny sort of one- or two-person pod-type vehicles that uh, can be, you know, you you don't own it, you just rent it, you walk up to it and point and use, uh, park it up, and then that's it, you walk away. It's not your responsibility to look after. And I think that reality is kind of, it's almost here um, I haven't used any of the services yet myself, but I'm aware there are already some in London where you can literally approach and use a vehicle, um, a bit like renting a car, but for, a, you know, half an hour rather than a weekend or a week. Um, and I think that will change the face of motoring because that brings a whole new set of challenges um, that we haven't even considered with this is, you know, how do you charge a car that could be in one of a thousand different locations around the city when a user's dropped it off um, and you know and is is electric the best for that is hydrogen the best for that is you know synthetic fuels the best for that um, so yeah as you say there 's a whole range of uh, of potential technologies we could we could talk about in the future maybe we 'll do some more of these if people like the uh, the content and are, and are interested then uh, maybe we can get people on to talk about what we think um, the future of very specific areas might be. I certainly think I saw something in the interesting. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when it comes to haulage, uh, one of the new technologies I believe they're actually already trying in Europe is uh, kind of crossover from the uh, the, the train world um, is having a, a pantograph system on the inside lane of the motorway. So when lorries pull onto the motorway, they can switch off diesel engines or whatever propulsion system they've got. They raise up the little electric contacts uh, and they can run on grid electricity while they're trundling for however many hundreds of miles along, along the inside lane of the motorway. So there's some fascinating solutions that are coming out of the woodwork, I think, at the moment.
2: I think there is, John. I think all I would appeal to people to do is to continue to think about the whole systems approach. Mm. So whilst you, know, and you mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts the, the government's latest 10-point plan. I think there are some good signposts in the 10-point plan, but in my humble opinion, it's not integrated enough. It doesn't talk about how one initiative supports another one. So, you know, yes, the idea of, of having pantograph-based HGVs on the motorway is fine, so long as you've reinforced the grid. And to yep. do that, you need to know how much electricity you're going to need, where is it going to be, um, and what sort of power supply. Because you've got to be careful not to rob Peter to pay Paul. And that's why I think also when you look at the whole systems thinking, the types of the three types of solutions we've talked about today all play a, all can potentially play a role. Because, um, you know, you, you need to have diversity, you need to have a resilient energy system to be able to, to accommodate uh, the changes that we need to make.
1: It's a really interesting point, actually, because the 10-point plan talks a lot about how we're going to fuel the battery electric vehicle revolution that they're uh, they're suggesting is going to happen. Um, And it seems to be very much based on renewables, so wind power. I think they're aiming for moving from, what are we, about 20 gigawatts of wind power at the moment to 40 gigawatts of wind power on the grid by 2030, um, which is a fantastic thing. But it's not always windy in the same way it's not always sunny. And so having those uh, that diversity of, of solutions means if there isn't enough energy on the grid to run all of our lights and heating and everything else and charge you know five million electric cars, it might be that there are there are other solutions that we can use, it's other ways of storing that energy.
2: Yeah, correct. And if you just just as a slight diversion, if you turn the next page over, you'll find another reference to increasing the number of heat pumps on the system by you know to make them six hundred thousand a year. Um now. A heat pump in a home probably doubles the electricity consumption of a home. It, it does away with the gas boiler, so it's it's a cleaner solution in that sense. But from a systems thinking perspective, in the same time frame as you want to uh, increase the be- the battery electric vehicle fleet, you're also expecting the grid to take on board an extra mm. six hundred thousand heat pumps a year, and that's that's why I'm that's why I'm encouraging people to maintain mm. a systems perspective.
1: Interestingly, there's, there's a potentially limiting factor there. We did consider an electric vehicle um, back at the beginning of this year. and We actually ended up also going for a Volvo V60 um, for our kind of daily driver for commuting. And the biggest concern we had is at the time we had just fitted an electric shower. Uh, we were looking at an electric oven for the new kitchen. Uh, and when we tossed it all up, putting a charge point in on the house as well, we wouldn't have actually had enough capacity on the mains cable coming in literally right here in front of me um, to actually have run all of those applications at the same time and so when you talk about looking at the bigger picture there's just a the bigger picture even of your own house and the infrastructure you've got set up there and whether actually most of the UK's housing stock is capable of of running some of these technologies or not uh, like you say if you've got a heat pump and, a, and everything else running at the same time
2: you're right and that's why you know the the the, the often quoted topic of smart meters comes up because the idea of having, um, you know, of of the your electricity supply to be able to intervene, to turn your fridge up at home in order to allow you to charge your battery electric vehicle or to be able to manage your electricity system so that you can use cheaper electricity on a different tariff or something, all of those things will, will come to play in, in the future of, of the electricity system. But, yeah, you know, when you've got more than a third of UK houses that don't have off-street parking, when you've got 40% of vehicles, um, you know, five metres away from their front door or more, there's a lot of challenges that we need to still solve mm-hmm. here. And that's why we need multiple solutions.
1: Interestingly, a kind of a summary that's uh, kind of building up as we're talking a- around me is that we've come here to talk about the future of motoring, talk about motor cars and all three technologies we've kind of talked about all come back to one basic thing, which is a need for electrical energy. So previously, the two things have been very independent. You know, we, we dig up or we extract fossil fuels to put in our cars and we, we burn it to drive along. And then we separately generate electricity, be it from nuclear or, again, fossil fuels, coal, etc. Um, but all of a sudden, those two worlds are colliding very, very quickly. And whenever we've talked about a future technology or what the future looks like, quite quickly, we end up coming back to, well, what does that mean in terms of, you know, your house? because if you plug an electric car in, the grid that's got to support the additional electric vehicles or in the case of the other technologies has got to provide the energy for producing hydrogen or for capturing CO2 and the processing of putting those together. And I think for me, the realization out of the back of all of these discussions is that actually the future of motoring is, is very much focused on the energy industry and what we do as a country with our energy supply. That may well dictate what the future of motoring looks like.
3: Oh yeah, I completely agree, and I I feel like a lot of people are quick to put all of their eggs in one basket, so to speak, in terms of like right, electric is the solution, and although they'll address the challenges, that there's ne- there's never any kind of plan for what's coming next, and especially kind of from the government, it's like right, we're going electric. Here are the things that we're going to do but they're not addressing really specific challenges like on an individual level. So certainly with, you know, people don't have off street parking, like how can you expect them to, you know, charge their vehicle and yes, charging um, infrastructure and power and everything and all of the technology there is improving, but, you know, and, you know, you might be able to charge your car in 10 minutes or so, which is closer to the, you know, the, the process and the time of, you know, fueling an internal combustion engine vehicle but I feel like no one's really addressing the fact that actually, well, if an electric car doesn't work for you, um, maybe a fuel cell vehicle, a hydrogen vehicle might work for you. And you know what, if you're a classic car enthusiast and you're not going to do some kind of retrofit of, you know, batteries and electric motor, then there are these synthetic fuels that, that are going to kind of fill that gap as well.
2: Very, very very much agree with you, Jess, that, that you know, the, the way in which the system builds out. So we, at the moment, you know, people are talking about, um, you know, we'll have uh, one electric vehicle in the family, you know, we'll, we'll test it out. But the reality is most houses have two or more vehicles. So that's an additional thing to think about when you're thinking about, you know, can you run two extension cables to, to, the, to the house for your future fleet, for your future electric fleet? So you do need some resilience. You need some degree of diversity in the, in the transport system to allow different alternatives to, to meet consumer expectations.
3: There's actually a really interesting um, thing that's being tried called vehicle to grid, uh, where whereby, uh, you know, an electric vehicle, a battery electric vehicle can send its power back to the grid at times of like, you know, um, increased demand. So like when everyone's flicked the kettle on during their favorite program at, at times like that you know, the grid can go, okay, we need a bit more power, you know, the wind or the solar power that we've, we've stored during the day isn't enough. Let's take from all of these electric vehicles. So there are some technologies and solutions coming in that are, you know, hopefully going to solve this problem of, you know, the strain on the grid and, you know, what what our houses and our homes can, can, you know, support, but we're, we're far from, you know, a perfect solution as we are now. Very promising technology for sure.
1: I really like that idea of of your house almost becoming its own little microgrid. So, you know, your your battery storage is your car sitting out on the driveway if you're lucky enough to be in that situation. And you could almost have, you know, solar panels on the roof um, and you can be relatively self-sufficient. Uh, I know years ago uh, there was a, a chap in America who was trialing this whole Uh, self-sustaining lifestyle where he he had a whole he had a lot of land to use he had a whole load of solar panels he had a a field or two solar panels and he was using that energy to produce hydrogen through electrolysis um he was storing that and then at night he was using that back through a fuel cell to keep the lights on but he was also tapping it off to to put into his car he'd converted his car to run a combustion version of of hydrogen use rather than a fuel cell use Um, and he was trying to prove that with enough development, you could almost be completely self-sufficient, um, and I think in certain isolated cases, where you've got the land and the space for the technology, that could almost become the future. Some people actually come off the grid and can power their whole lives from, you know, a combination of these renewable technologies, and it might be instead of storing hydrogen to put into a car and to, you know, to burn in a fuel cell, that solution would be, you know, a, a big roof full of solar panels, charging your electric car during the day if it's plugged in, if you're working from home, as we all are at the moment. Um, and then, you know, when it goes dark and you want to turn the lights on or you want to put the telly on, actually, the, the car offers that offers that extra power. Um, so and there's, there's a number of different kind of potentials of how that, that might come to fruition. But I find that idea really interesting that we could almost – become self-sufficient again rather than relying on the grid
2: it's an interesting topic i mean it's it's not of all these things for future discussion i think john but you absolutely describe, you described it as a democratization of energy you know that in fact yes vehicle to grid and things like that and solar have tremendous capabilities to be able to allow us to run the energy system in a different way the question for the future perhaps is who controls that so do you decide whether you want to give your solar electricity away to your neighbour because they're perhaps in your local community and the local village wants to develop its own system? Or do you allow the, the energy's provider to take your electricity away and give it to somebody else and maybe pay you for it? So there's an, some interesting discussions absolutely, about how the electricity system should develop for the future. I think that's a,
0: that was a, a fairly substantial conclusion. That basically said, uh, which one's the future uh, EVs, hydrogen, or synthetic fuels? And we've answered with yes. Um, <laughs> to simplify, uh, but no, obviously, it, it is a, a vastly complex subject. And I have a feeling we'll probably be revisiting this much sooner um, than we thought. Uh, I think uh, obviously we'll go around uh, and say goodbyes uh, very shortly, but I think the only thing that would be, it'd be wrong to do after mentioning it so many times, uh, it'd be wrong if we didn't do it. But uh, Jess, is there any way that people can follow your EV journey uh, as you go through the, uh, the your first year as an EV owner?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I have a YouTube channel under my name, Jess Shanahan. Uh, you can find me on YouTube and I'm kind of, I'm trying to give a very, very honest and straightforward kind of, um you know view on what it's like to be an electric car owner from the view of a car enthusiast and a petrol head but also from a more practical sense of you know am I going to run out run out of you know miles when I'm trying to do a long journey and you know how am I finding chargers and all of that kind of thing so yeah um just search for my name Jeff Shanahan on on YouTube or I'll be posting everything on uh Jet L Bomb on Twitter as well.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time on those discussions there. Uh, hopefully it's been enlightening for you listening uh, as well. But it just leads me to say, uh, Jess, a big thank you uh, for your uh, input on this one.
3: Thank you very much. It's been great to be here.
0: And Graham, thank you as well for joining us and taking time out your schedule. Uh, thanks,
3: Martin. I enjoy taking part in the, the
2: discussions.
0: Brilliant. And John? Uh, I'm sure we will be back. Uh, But uh, thank you you for co-hosting with me or taking your specialist role uh, in this week's episode. Uh, And we will see you all very soon to continue the discussion. Excellent.
3: Goodbye.
1: forget to like, comment, share and subscribe. Thank you for listening.